to uh, Game and Junk Game Club, the show where we put the games back in games and junk. My name is John Lucero. I'll be your host today. And joining me, as always, are... Vanessa Cahill. And Jason Ariola. And on this episode, we have a special guest from Mediatonic, Mr. Ed Fear. Uh, please uh, introduce yourself, Ed. Hello, uh, I'm Ed Fear, and I'm the director and co-writer of Murder by Numbers. And yes, it's, it's lovely to, to be here. Thank you for having me on. Yes, thank you for joining us. And if that that didn't give you a hint, listeners, we are talking about Murder by Numbers today. It won our listener poll for January, beating out Hades and Ori and the Blind Forest. It beat out Hades by a single vote, so it was a very close race. Murder by Numbers is a visual novel slash Picross puzzle game starring Honor Mizrahi. Mizrahi? Uh, How do you pronounce her last name, Ed? Mizrahi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mizrahi, okay. Just making sure. And she is a... Eventually, private investigator that is helped by a little robot buddy named Scout, uh, and you solve murder using pick, using the power of Picross. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and let me just say, it's charming as all hell. Jason, you picked this game, uh, or you picked it for the poll specifically. Uh, can you give us any like reasoning as to why? I had originally saw this kind of floating around around when it came out, and it just kind of struck me as Phoenix Wright and Picross. And I was like, I'm, I'm here for that. I love both of those and I want something very similar to it. And then I found out that the composer for some of the Ace Attorney games uh, actually composed the music for this. So I was like, okay, yeah, I'm 100% in on this. I, Our listeners probably know I tend to buy a lot of games and don't get around to all of them uh, to completion by any stretch of the imagination. <laughs> I, uh, I got through the first case and I was like, oh, great, this is really good. And I kind of put it off to the side and did start playing something else because that's just sort of how I am. When we were deciding to do a poll for this month's game club, I was like, you know what? I want a good, good excuse to get back to murder by numbers and finish it. And I thought this was the perfect excuse. And thankfully the poll won. Yes. And it's a, uh, it's a damn good game. Uh, I didn't know what to think of it going in because I've never played Picross in my life. Uh, oh, wow. Cause I don't, I don't like Sudoku. Uh, and I just assumed Picross was like Sudoku. <laughs> so I didn't, I never played it. I uh, never had any interest, but I had a very good time, actually. I kind of I picked it up pretty pretty quick. Vanessa, you ever played any Picross games before? No, I, I haven't. I, I like you thought it was like Sudoku, which I'm terrible at, um, but I loved it. <laughs> yeah, it's so, very very satisfying. Yeah, it's a great, it's a really fun game. <laughs> Ed, had you played Picross before making this game? <laughs> First try. <laughs> no, I just inve- I just invented it and then somehow realized it was already a thing. Uh, no, yeah, that's, yes, I had played um, I had played Picross before. I think the first time was on the DS. I think it's probably about like ten, fifteen years ago now. Um, there was a period where I played loads of logic games on my DS, like Sudoku and loads of other types of logic logic games. But Picross really just like seemed to scratch an itch for me. There was just something about it that I just loved and I couldn't get enough of. So, you know, that was kind of when the the seeds of this idea kind of got planted, I think. So, Jason, would you mind giving us a little history of uh, Ed's company, Mediatonic, who had a hell of a year last year, let me say. <laughs> uh, to go, because, uh, they released a little game along with Murder by Numbers uh, called uh, Fall Guys, you might have heard of. <laughs> so, Actually, John, since I figured we were having, uh, you know, a person that works there, I actually... Uh, hung up the lab coat for this episode and decided maybe it'd be better if Ed actually talks about the company itself. It's probably a good yeah. idea. <laughs> okay, I can do that. We're an independent game studio. I joined about nine years ago now, quite a long time ago. 
Um, I joined when it was about 30 people and it's now about 300, I think, which is insane. Mm -hmm. And yeah, when I joined, we were just based in London. And now uh, we have two other offices in the UK in Brighton and Guildford. And we have a studio in Madrid as well. Oh, no, we've got a studio in a third one in England as well. There we go. You see, I can't keep I genuinely can't keep up with uh, our meteoric growth at the moment. It's um, it's crazy. But yeah, we've we've kind of um, in the part when I joined, we, we, we pivot. We were kind of in the middle of pivoting to uh, mobile games. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing that's kind of always been in Mediatonic's history is that that idea of games as a service are so games that you keep on um, updating long after they uh, long after they come out. And so yeah, so I joined when we were kind of getting into that in the mobile space. We had quite a lot of quiet successes going on with that, but then we kind of gradually wanted to kind of move more into um, other spaces as well. So uh, yeah, like we've kind of yeah, like you say, last year, twenty twenty, we had Murder Animals and Fall Guys, so two console games coming out at the same time. One of them did an awful lot better than the other one. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, it's uh, yeah, it's it's we're kind of we have a very wide um, range of things that we like to do. And Murder Animals came about because we wanted to do something a bit smaller. Our teams were all growing. We tend to have about four or five games in development at the same time. Mm-hmm. The scope of them was growing a lot. You know, the teams were getting a lot bigger and we kind of wanted to make sure that there was a space where we could keep on doing some small experimental stuff. Um, and that's where Murder by Numbers fit into things, really. Are you a uh, big fan of pulpy mystery stuff? Is that if you always wanted to do a visual novel like this? Uh, was this like for the moment kind of idea? What brought on Murder by Numbers like as, a, as an idea itself? Uh, funnily enough, no, I don't like mystery stories. <laughs> really? Okay. <laughs> um, no, I, 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 well, I mean, I don't dislike them, but I don't have any particular um, fondness for them, and I really don't like, I really don't like writing them, which is really, which is obviously, <laughs> you're, you're very good at it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, well, I, I mean, uh, I, most of the mystery parts of it were done by my co-writer because I, uh, I just don't know how to do. It's so hard writing mysteries. It's like. Yes. Um, there's so many moving pieces that you have to work out everything and the potential for plot holes is huge and all of that kind of stuff and I just couldn't be bothered with it Um, (laughs) but yeah so it came about because um, the idea actually I think the idea came about about 10-15 years ago it's been in my head for a long time this idea Uh, and it was around the time that I was playing these DS games and and that's also the the time when I obviously played Phoenix Wright because that's when Phoenix Wright first came out in the West. And I was playing Picross one day and I kind of thought, wouldn't it, I wonder if there's some, you know, the idea of you do a Picross is the solution to the picture is, sorry, the solution to the puzzle is a picture. And um, I liked that aspect of it. But then I kind of, I was playing it one day and I thought, what if that, what if that picture meant something? in a wider game like what if what if the process of finding that picture then led you on to to something else um and i think maybe it's because i was you know this was the era of phoenix wright but also i think just the most natural thing in my head was well what if the picture was a piece of evidence you know or a clue uh in some kind of mystery and that and basically it just went you know from there as soon as i thought that then the whole thing kind of fell into place. I remember pitching it at a studio I worked at about 10 years ago and they weren't really 
um they weren't really into it at all <laughs> um and in fact funnily enough when i applied for mediatonic they asked for some game some of my game concepts and i sent that to them and they never said anything about it so i assumed they hated it as well <laughs> and so i just kind of, i just kind of it always been in the back of my head um this kind of idea and i was like i'm sure this would work i don't understand why no one's done it and every time I'd hear about a new Picross game, I'd, I'd like get this sick feeling in my stomach, like, oh no, what if someone else has done, what if this is the one where someone else has done that idea? But um, I had a couple of friends that I told the idea to, and they they loved it because they loved both of the component parts, you know. Mm-hmm. And they would, re- you know, they would, every couple of years, they'd be like, what happened to um, Picross Detective, which is what I called it in those days, because okay. obviously that's literally what it is. Um, <laughs> And I'd always, and you know, so I, and I'd always go, oh, I don't, you know, it's not the right time or whatever. But then this opportunity came up at Mediatonic where we were looking for smaller ideas. You know, normally we do games that are funded by, well, up until, well, things have changed a bit now, but at that, for most of our life, we've done stuff that's been funded by publishers. So, you know, you have to go to them, you have to pitch the game, and you have to justify why it deserves this amount of budget and employ this many people and I never really felt that this idea fit into that because it always just felt like a smaller idea and there wasn't much point going through all of the hassle of signing a deal with a publisher which takes like you'd think it only takes like a couple of weeks to sign a game with a publisher but it takes nine months whoa (laughs) there's no there's no point really doing that on something that's so small because you're not you know it's just it like the the effort isn't isn't really worth it so Mm -hmm. anyway we were discussing the idea of funding doing funding something ourselves, uh, something small. And so this idea just popped back into my head and I, you know, I put together a very quick presentation um, for my boss, our creative director. And uh, he just immediately was like, oh, that's, yeah, I get that. You know, like, okay, that's interesting. Let's keep that in our back pocket. Um, and then it was the beginning of 2018. I was working on the early stages of another game which was a spin-off. I shouldn't really say anything about this, but it was a spin-off of a gigantic big RPG that that, that came out and we were doing a spin-off of it. Okay. And and it was incredibly exciting for me. And basically we it nearly got picked up and then it didn't because, you know, oh, wow. publishers Yeah. Publishers their, you know, their uh, aims changed quite a lot and suddenly they didn't really, you know, timelines weren't working out and whatever. So it never really started production, but I'd been working on it for a few months. That kind of happened, and we didn't really know what to do with me. So <laughs> my boss was like, why don't you try prototyping that that weird idea you'd had? And I was like, I don't know if I can prototype that. Like, I don't really know how to code very well. But he was like, you know, just give it a shot. And then he gave me six weeks. <laughs> six and I, weeks? Oh, boy. Yeah, gave me six weeks, and I, I, I did uh, manage to prototype it. Um. And then I had to hand it in because I was going away to Japan for two weeks. So I had to, so like no one had checked up on me during the whole time. <laughs> and, um, well, I mean, they kind of had, but they were just like, oh, it's going okay, fine, you know, whatever. I'd not had to show it <laughs> to anyone. Um, and yeah, so I was like, oh, I'm going away. I should probably like send off what I've done so that they know that I've not just been sitting here or whatever. Um, and I sent it off like the day the day before I was due to fly. And then as I was waiting in the gate to the airport the next day, I got an email from my boss that just went, I love it. As soon as you get back, let's work out how we're going to make this. Which obviously, like I say, used to, being used to nine-month 
publisher deals mm. to get an answer back within a day <laughs> was a very new experience for me. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, that was kind of the start of it, really. So you uh, you got the exact same amount of time to prototype this as uh, Howard Scott Warshaw got to make E.T., basically. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, not very long, but it, I mean, it's not a massively complicated idea. Um, right. But obviously, I have no artistic skills whatsoever, so everything was like from Google Images, <laughs> like, I love it. like using using people's like personal photos or whatever. <laughs> it's it just like like kit bashing something together. And funnily enough, um, I remember when we were like uh, about to release the game, our video editor at Mediatonic was like, oh, I'd like to, I'd like to show some of the footage of the, of the prototype to show kind of what you did. And I was like, you absolutely cannot because <laughs> we, do not the to, we do not have the rights to a single you know, <laughs> PNG file that is in that, uh, oh, is in that game. So. Can um, I ask a, yeah. how you prototyped it? Like what you did to uh, show it off specifically? I had used a program called Game Maker a little bit, which is like a hobbyist game creation tool. I'd used it a tiny bit to prototype a very small idea I'd had before. And so I basically did that. Essentially, I made a vertical slice of the whole game. I made a little case where you could go from place to place and interview people and then do a pit cross and get a clue and then use that to kind of progress onwards. You know, it's only about 10 minutes of gameplay or whatever because I only kind of realized I needed some content a few days before I had to, <laughs> had to hand it in. So I had to very quickly make something up. But yeah, I mean, it was, you know, the game didn't actually change much from that at all so it was basically you, you could play it and you would know exactly what the the experience of playing the game would would be like or whatever but um yeah i had to very quickly make up a i didn't even know what the setting was at this point or you know anything mm -hmm. about that so i just really quickly wrote this case about a, like a murder a, a, a dog show <laughs> okay of course <laughs> one of those common um, murder locations yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like, or somebody, it was like two rival dog trainers and one of them had like hit the other one over the head with something and, mm -hmm. you know, but I, I kind of knew from early on that I wanted the, the tone to be quite heightened and to be not serious. Yeah. Uh, that was as, as much as I knew. So that was kind of how I went into it. And the people who played the pro prototype actually really um, uh, reacted well to that. So that kind of helped shape things after that, you know. glad you got to make this game because uh in my estimation it is endlessly charming and i think that's its greatest strength you said you didn't write the mystery so i'm assuming you would kind of handle more of the tone pieces in terms of writing this thing yeah so basically we previously made a game called fantastic beast a fantastic beast tie-in game mm -hmm. called cases from the wizarding world and that was like a hidden object mobile game that was these mystery stories set in the wizarding world of jk rowling right mm. so um i hadn't really worked on that because i was working on something else but i did help them write the dialogue for one case um but the guy who had handled a lot of that obviously had 
had worked in a writer's room coming up with these mystery stories. And so I was immediately like, oh, I'm going to get him to kind of do the hard work. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, um, so, um, yeah, so uh, I got Murray on board and he... So, yeah, he was largely responsible for the individual mystery stories, like each individual case. We all kind of worked on bits of it together. But, mm-hmm. I, yeah, my, my focus was more on the overall story, the setting, the kind of the core characters on a, a scout, Casey, Becky. And Murray kind of worked more on the mystery and he kind of handled characters like Detective Cross okay. um, and Jenna and whatever the bad guy's called, I can't even remember anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Jack? Um, Jack? Yeah, I think his name's Jack. Jack, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So he kind of, he kind of works on that. I mean, I mean, he he did work on a lot of the overall story as well, but it was kind of me. We had a lot of like brainstorming sessions and I kind of sat down and, and I said, oh, you know, I want it to be a story about this, this robot and this actress and, you know, and, and kind of. <laughs> of course, yeah. Well, well, there's a. Tale as old as time. Yeah. <laughs> I'll come back to that. Um, I, yeah, and I kind of said, oh, you know, and it has to build to this, and, you know, this is, you know. So I kind of set out some very kind of loose tent poles, really. And Murray did a lot of the work of kind of building the story around that. And then uh, and then we kind of worked together when it came to actually writing it. I think the first case we both wrote and then both rewrote many times. The second case he did almost entirely. The fourth case he did almost entirely. And the third case he wrote the kind of the the treatment like the basic story mm-hmm. and then i wrote the all of the dialogue and the like case specific characters so the basically the drag queens because that's kind of my my sphere <laughs> I gotcha. yeah that's actually my favorite case too so <laughs> i think i would say it's mine too vanessa do you have a favorite case yeah it's, it's, it's also my favorite case <laughs> yeah, it's really, it was, it, i think it was i think it was the best balanced of all the cases it was uh, oh that's that's yeah. lovely to hear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so yeah, that was the that was the one that I actually wrote. That was kind of the the main writing I did was that case. Yeah. I also really loved the the drag queens are my my two favorite characters. Like Roz, I think is my favorite of the entire game. Oh yes, yeah. <laughs> she just she's just so big. <laughs> <Love her. laughs> oh, she's my she's my favorite too. Yeah. yeah that's why in the credits I, she's next to my name. <laughs> <laughs> it actually took a long time to work out what the basic setting of the game was and. The whole idea of this actress and the t- and the and this robot is ridiculous, right? And it's ridiculous because it actually came to me in a dream. Um, and in the dream, I came up with a solution to a problem that I didn't actually have in real life, and I was so happy. And then I woke up and went, "The answer is that she is she is an actress." And then, <laughs> the thing is, I didn't know what the question was. Like, like I didn't it didn't have any relation to what was actually going on in my life at that point. And um, and I, I I originally wanted to do something that was a bit more like 90210, like maybe something set in a school, like something kind of teenage But that didn't really go down well at all when I pitched it. And then it was kind of out of desperation. I was like, uh, what about an actress and a robot? <laughs> like having nothing left in my pocket. And, then, and, that, um, and that was the winner. <laughs> yeah, and then my boss was like, okay, that could work. <laughs> and I was like, really? like well great i, I came Thank up you. with that in a dream wonderful i don't know how that ended up being the answer but sure enough good thing it turned out to be <laughs> yeah exactly it's a really it's a really really strange one but it's quite funny yeah who designed scout by the way as a floating monitor as a, from the uh a, flo- a big floating monitor because i think it's hilarious yes and, i love it yeah 
Scout took a very long time to design. Moa, uh, the character artist, she she designed most of him, but she got mm-hmm. some help from Damu, the other artist, at different points. I think we always knew that he was mostly a monitor from the very beginning. <laughs> we didn't know for a while whether he floated or like had wheels or something, because the reference in my head was always Johnny Five. Yeah. Uh, okay. So I think I saw him that kind of way for a while, but then it was it was the reason that we went we ended up going with him being this flying thing was just practicality. If he was a robot, he was going to be small, which would mean he was always at the bottom of the screen and always being <laughs> hidden by the text box. Yeah. So I was like, oh no, we need him to be at eye height. And so then I was like, well, he's either going to be huge and kind of intimidating or he's floating. And I was like, okay, well, he's, you know, he's floating then. So it was kind of a practical thing rather than like anything creative, you know? Yeah, I, I appreciate you chose floating because it led to that really funny balloon bit in the, in <laughs> yes, the final yes. case that I really, I really enjoyed that. <laughs> I do like the idea of Scout barely, like, you can barely see him while he's everybody's hip level, basically, as he's wheeling by. And it's just like this little, like, top of his head, basically, when people are talking and he's talking to. Like, there's, also, there's humor there, too, for sure. <laughs> yeah. But I think that would have gotten old probably after the first few minutes of the first case. So Yeah, like, it's, it's, a, it's a good one-off joke. But yeah. Uh, I, yeah, <laughs> it's not really can sustain the whole game. Yeah. No. I, I also thought it was funny that everyone kind of accepted Scout right away. No one ever actually questioned the fact that he's a, he's a floating robot monitor that, that solves crime. <laughs> <laughs> everyone just kind of like okay with it immediately which that was really funny you know yeah no one's ever like, i mean what is that <laughs> that's a, it was that was i worried about that a lot i always had this feeling that some things don't need to be explained yes and at no point were we trying to be realistic so we're obviously we're, if, if you're trying to be realistic then you have to do that work you have to explain it but because that was never part of the thing it was always just like you know i did get a lot of questions sometimes like how does scout float moa would always be like should i be drawing flames coming out of um, <laughs> just be like, just be like no just ignore it just just don't like with like there's just things we don't need to explain we're just gonna we're just gonna go with it and everyone's gonna be fine with it and it's not gonna be a thing <laughs> which was a really which was quite a gamble on my part but I think it worked in the end. Absolutely. Yeah. The more you try to explain things as well, the more ridiculous it is. If we'd had everyone mention it, how is he floating? Then it would have made it a point that it was ridiculous. But the fact that everyone just ignores it means that you forget it quite quickly as well. You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Vanessa, Jason, do you have any, do you, who's your favorite, who are your favorite characters in this game, by the way? Other than Roz, of course. <laughs> I know Vanessa. Definitely Roz. Definitely yeah. Roz. Roz. She's so great. Um, yeah. I really like Casey. <laughs> Damn it, Vanessa, yeah. you took my answer. <laughs> I know, he's just, so, he's just so sassy and such a good friend. I just really, really yeah. love him. Banshee, but he reminded me of Job from a show called Banshee a lot, and they're uh, they have a lot in common. If you haven't watched Banshee, uh, <laughs> okay. yeah.
KC was kind of the main character that I wrote. Like, I, I think I, I wrote an awful lot of his dialogue and definitely worried over the rest of it. <laughs> um, yeah, he was kind of my baby. And I was, re- I was absolutely petrified about what people were going to think of him because it's very... It, right, so this is the first game I've ever worked on. And I've been working in games for like 10, 12 years now. Where I've ever I've ever actually been able to put an openly gay character into a game, mm-hmm. and so obviously I wanted to run with that. Like I was like, okay, I've got this opportunity, so I'm going to do it. Um, and the e- you know the easy thing to have done would have been to um, not have a stereotypically gay character. You know, like have somebody who where it's not really much of a thing, like much just like oh yeah, and also you know they're gay, mm-hmm. but. I really, uh, around the time I was working out what I wanted to do with him, that was kind of about the time that the remake of Queer Eye first came out on Netflix, the first season of that. I had been completely bowled over by Jonathan Van Ness, who I just love. I just, just the mm-hmm. most adorable person in the world. I'd been noticing within the gay community that there'd been, there was this like pushback happening against like, well we call it mask for mask but like this idea of that you should act really masculine and not be you know not be feminine or or Mm -hmm. camp or whatever Mm -hmm. it's a very understandable why why that happened but it's kind of like re-embracing campness and an aspect of femininity and like being okay with that these things kind of came together and i was like okay i want to write a character that is quite flamboyant and quite feminine and or you know has aspects of femininity and is kind of unapologetic and all of that kind of stuff and it was really really difficult because i knew that as soon as a lot of people saw him they were going to go oh my god like what straight man wrote this this is like the most (laughs) most stereotypical gay character like especially as he's a best friend as well and a hairdresser like i really went for it (laughs) you were swinging for the fences there (laughs) exactly but i was like no i you know i was like no 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 i know that this is it i know that this is what i want to do with him especially writers we have this thing about stereotypes right and about how they're bad but the thing is actually we all embrace a lot of stereotypes, like all of us, whether that be based on your class or whether you're a geek or a jock or, you know, like everybody has aspects of stereotypes about them. Mm. And so I just kind of became really belligerent and I was like, I don't care that he's a stereotype. I'm going to go, like, I'm, I'm going to do this and I'm going to prove that, like, just because he's a stereotype doesn't mean he's a, a weak character. Like, he can he can still be a fully realised person with, you know, what you know hopes and dreams and 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 all of that but also be camp and also be a hairdresser like it's fine i don't see why the the more i thought about it being taboo i was like i was kind of like fighting against it in a way i realize i've just been going on for ages now but oh, no no um, but yeah so it, it took it took a long time to to kind of get it right a lot of people do react badly to him a lot of queer people i i see them on twitter you know they especially when the game first came out and they first met him they were like okay i'm not I'm not happy with this character. Luckily, most of them come around. I, I think I only engaged with somebody once, and I was like, I want you to tell me if you still feel the same way at the end of K3. And if you do, that's fine. But I think you'll feel differently about him by the end of that. And I think most people kind of saw that. Yeah, that was the thing I was most terrified about, but it seems to have gone... Casey seems to have gone down pretty well. Especially gay, gay men really like him. And they like I get messages from from, from gay men who are like... Um, 
like he's like he you know he is me and my friends and that's exactly what i wanted you know to portray um and funnily enough the people who are often quite against it are not are not gay you know and i think they're kind of they're they're kind of being defensive on our behalf a lot of gay men have said no you know he's 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 exactly what i want in a character you know so Mm -hmm. uh i think uh you you, what you just ex- described right there comes across perfectly. Like uh, when Casey first popped on screen, uh, just pops on screen, like, oh, okay. <laughs> and, uh, and but he is incredibly well written. He's uh, I think all I think you guys did a great job of like in the in the art department creating these like character caricature characters, just like based on their like the way they look and dress and kind of emote and stuff. But the yeah. writing itself uh, gives them a lot of a lot of depth. And uh, uh, they they feel like characters uh, and not caricatures. So I think you guys did a great job there. Uh, I also think Case Three specifically, you guys did a great job with the idea of identity, the mm-hmm. using using Scout in that in that aspect as well. I think it came across well without yeah. coming across as like preaching or anything. It just came across as uh, educating in a, a respectful manner. You know, I thought you guys did a really, really uh, you did a really really great job writing out that stuff and never felt like you're hitting over the hitting people over the head with it you're just letting them know about it and how it, uh how the world works yeah i i totally agree with that too i was very impressed with like um i, I feel like i learned a few things even and it was <laughs> nice to like um learn about like what a drag mother is and like i don't know it's a great a really great story and like really uh yeah as, as john said not hitting you over the head with it but like um learning a little bit and also forwarding the plot <laughs> yeah, well, thank you. That I mean, it means the world for you to hear that. I kind of think it was a bit too preachy, <laughs> looking back at it. But I'm glad other people don't. That's good. I think a lot of that was just that I wanted to write about this. You know, I, I, I'm not massively involved in the drag scene, but I am a big fan of it. Um, mm-hmm. And I'd been learning about it for a long time. And so there was part of me that just wanted to use that that knowledge in some way. And it was also a lot of the stuff with regards to identity was me like uh, in the time that we were making the game, the kind of especially the like anti-trans stuff in the UK has become mm-hmm. really quite bad. You know, the, um, the the gender critical movement, as they as they call themselves. Mm-hmm. And I was hearing more and more of this stuff every day. And that kind of made me want to. I suddenly was like, I, you know, I was getting really irritated with it. And I was like, well, you, you've got an opportunity to put something out into the world that is that says that that's not how things have to be. Mm-hmm. And so then, so when I kind of realized that, I was like, oh, okay, so I'm going to, I'm just going to use this to, to, you know, to put in like, you know, a message that, um, that, that this stuff is, you know, this stuff is fine. And, you know, identity is, is what you make of it. And, um, and you know that scene with scout and roz um was the first scene i wrote for case three actually quite a lot of the time when i come when i come to write something you know that there are going to be certain moments in the case mm-hmm. and uh i some what i like to do is start with those because you kind of maybe you just have a feeling about what emotion you want it to be or or whatever so it was that scene with roz i wrote i had no idea where it was going to go in no idea where I was going to fit it in in the case, but I wrote it. And as soon as I wrote it, I was like, oh, you know, okay, this is, this is what, yeah, this is good. And the other one was the case, the, the bit where Detective Cross finally loses it with honor. And he's just like, why do you keep on like ignoring me? Why do you keep on? It's after, after they've just been shot at at Crispin's apartment. 
and he's really just like you know why why is it that you just keep on ignoring me and you know because that was something that was bubbling under the surface as well and i knew i knew that was going to be a big moment i think the most fun scene to write in case three was the bit where honor's entrapment of ryan (laughs) was just it just felt very cathartic (laughs) to write like writing a, a pissed off character is great fun you know, writing somebody getting their revenge is... Uh, it felt like I was getting my revenge as I was writing it. I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know Orion personally? Is that where you, where you got the inspiration from? <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. You know, I don't, luckily. Um, and uh, I don't, you know, I don't know why I thought it was a good idea to put that storyline in there, but... Uh, well, no, I kind of do. Um it wasn't based on it wasn't based on anything that happened to me or anyone I know, but it was more that I get quite frustrated that games a lot of the time are about teenagers or people who are like coming of age and it's that kind of it's all about growing up. But I think adults have a lot of really interesting stories about them as well. And I feel that, you know, we don't just come of age once, we keep on realizing things and realizing where we've gone wrong and changing you know as we're an adult and our life changes as we have kids and those kids go away you know there's so many periods in life where your life completely changes that to just focus on one seems really stupid to me so it's always been a little bee in my bonnet so I wanted honor (laughs) to be somebody who had been through some stuff already Mm -hmm. because I wanted her to be an adult you know obviously we knew that the game was all about her finding a new place for herself in the world and so obviously that's why we started the game with her getting fired because it puts her in a position where there is now a hole in her life that that she can fill you know career Mm. um but it felt like having the kind of this kind of messy divorce also just kind of added to that and helped really you know that she had she had kind of got free of it which sounds like the end of the story but actually it's just the beginning you know just because you get out of the situation doesn't mean it's actually the end. So that's kind of where it came about, you know, deciding to do that. And, it, you know, I, I have to be honest and say that we, we probably weren't as careful as we should have been with it. And I hold my hands up to that fully. And, you know, I, I have seen people who have, who are like, you know, I was really enjoying the game. And then this Ryan stuff came along and it's just too real for me. You know, it's like he's too accurate. And it like I wanted a nice, fun experience and it's ruined it for me now and that's that's certainly something that's been an interesting you know growth experience for me is 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 kind of thinking again about the impact that these these stories can have so yeah but i, I think it, i think it works it does uh i think that's you you spoke about being uh off air we, we were talking you spoke about being worried about like the tone of this thing uh being too disparate you know too yeah saccharine and then too much uh a murder mystery on the on the other side uh and i think uh the way you you humanize characters like honor with uh that with her uh divorce background and stuff like that uh actually helps to blend the two together so yeah i think the writing itself uh ends up making it work occasionally there were times when uh you're doing a, a picture puzzle and it was a i had one specifically where i think it was a, a de- i think it was the dead body in case four and you know and you, you guys have scout uh react with a smile every time you like solve a line or solve a full puzzle yeah. <laughs> and, uh, he like had this huge smile on his face yeah after it's a, it's, it's just a dead body on top of the screen <laughs> 
that was probably the most uh, <laughs> the the clo- that was probably the most out there moment. But other than that, yeah. I think uh, you you blend the adult material with the with the corny puns and uh, the corny pun names and the one liners, which are really good. There's some really good one liners. Oh in this, yeah. In this. Yeah, Especially after Scout discovers kind of humor and starts interjecting there, I'm like, oh god, he! I didn't think I could like Scout more, but the more and more he started throwing one-liners <laughs> in, I'm like, oh, I just love Scout. Yeah, they were they were they were great. They were great. Um, I'm glad to. I mean, most of the one-liners and all of the punny names were were the work of my co-writer. I hate puns. <laughs> <laughs> so, they, they have to be delivered in a certain tone for me to appreciate a good pun so yeah. and i i think there's a no there's a knowingness to all of it that i really i really appreciated i think it was really good um, yeah. even the names like hide muscleman yes was, uh, <laughs> i mean yes. i i hate that but, but it's so but, I, <laughs> part, part of being a director is like is like working out how to not be too like uh dictatorial about it mm-hmm. and uh so yeah that was a very ex- interesting experience for me is that you know that i wouldn't have done that sort of thing if i'd been writing it solo but you realize that you're making a game for more than just yourself and obviously there are different types of people in the world so in the end i was just like fine i'll just let these you know i'll just let these <laughs> things happen and now i've seen how many people really like them and it's kind of like it's a good reminder for me about you know the breadth, the, the the breadth of likes and diversity amongst people, and you know how it shouldn't always be one person's uh, one person's rule, as it were. I'm gonna leave you guys in to talk, ask about ask about any music stuff. But I know you guys got the uh, creator, uh, the music designer, uh, composer. Sorry, there's the word <laughs> for Phoenix Wright to uh, to do this, correct? Yeah, that's correct. And uh, uh, Jason, do you have any specific questions you want to ask about that? Okay, as someone. I'm also a fan of Phoenix Wright. The whole reason I ended up with the DS initially was my brother, um, who lives in, um, who's in a different state than I, came out to visit, and he had bought a DS early, had bought Phoenix Wright, and he was showing it off to me. And the whole thing when he shouted "objection," and then it, you know, Phoenix Wright shouted "objection," and I was like, "Oh, I gotta have one of these things. I <laughs> gotta play this game." And I really, really love the music that Sugimori did for that series. Uh, you know, you being a fellow fan of Phoenix Wright. Walk me through the process of approaching him to do the music, and also, how did you feel when you, he said, "Yeah, like, okay, yeah, I'm on." <laughs> I always wanted to get a Japanese composer for the game because I'm a hu- I'm a huge fan of Japanese games. I'm a huge fan of Japanese game music. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, so I've got a podcast was... for you after we're done here. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Amazing, amazing. Um, so I knew, yeah. So I knew I wanted. I knew I wanted a Japanese composer. So what I did is the publisher of the game, the Arega Corporation, which is a sister 
company of Mediatonic, they had just hired somebody in Japan to be to run their Japanese operations. So I was like, aha, this is how I do it. This is how I get it to happen. I was like, okay, his name is Andrew. So I was like, okay, Andrew, I need you to find me a composer. <laughs> and um, I basically just gave him a list of composers. And, and, you know, I think it was probably about 10 or so. And some of them were real shots, you know, <laughs> um, like really, you know, really, really long shots. But I was like, I might as well. You know, these are all people I would love to work with. So... <laughs> I just gave him a list, and obviously I put Sugimori-san on that list because of how iconic the songs that are in that first Phoenix Wright, or in the later games, but, you know, in the later games, a lot of the time they're remixes of the the tracks from the original. Mm -hmm. So obviously I knew that he was good, and I kind of, I looked into him, and I he looks like he might be available or something like that. So I put him on the list. And I gave the list to Andrew, and then about a month later, Andrew was like, I found you a composer. He was like, well, no, he didn't say that, actually, at all. He said, I've <laughs> gone through everyone on the list, and everyone said no. <laughs> Ouch. And I went, I went, oh, great. Okay, that's, <laughs> that's good to know. Yeah. And then he went, they went, well, except Sugimori. <laughs> and I was like, oh, you, <laughs> you little, you know, you little turd. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I was like, oh, okay. And, you know, I had never really imagined him actually working on it. Some of the people I had kind of thought, oh, what would it be like if they worked on it? And for some reason, I hadn't actually really considered it. Mm -hmm. I mean, I obviously I'd put his name down, but I hadn't really thought about what it might be like or whatever. And I, so I was like, oh, okay, cool, excellent, like, great. And then I sat down and I actually thought about it. And all the, the I would say the only real emotion i felt was absolute terror because i was suddenly like oh god this is really going to draw the phoenix right comparisons isn't it <laughs> <laughs> because obviously the game is very inspired by phoenix right mm -hmm. right i mean i'm not gonna i'm, I'm not gonna deny that you know it absolutely is i genuinely never set out to make a spiritual successor to the Phoenix Wright games. Largely because the first three Phoenix Wright games are so incredibly well-written. Yes, yes, yes. I, that, oh, man, I cannot agree with you more. <laughs> yeah, that to try and draw that comparison would be... I was like, it would be disastrous. Like, all we'll get is it's not as good as, as that. And obviously, if I'd wanted to make a, a spiritual successor to Phoenix Wright, I, it would have been about a lawyer, and it wouldn't have had Pitcross in it. <laughs> and, you know, it would have had courtroom battles, you know. And I was maybe a bit naive about it, but when he joined, I was like, oh no, this is really going to make the comparisons happen, isn't it? And so it was. It, I, I was delighted, absolutely delighted that he was on board, but it suddenly was this big pressure on my shoulders, like, you now have a lot more to live up to. But I, I genuinely actually never thought people would think of it as a spiritual successor to Phoenix Wright. And I was really surprised when the trailers came out, when the game came out, and people kept on saying... You know, oh, it's you know, it's trying to be a successor to Phoenix Wright, or I've just made this game. It's really great. It's like a successor to Phoenix Wright because I, I wanted to stand there and go, no, 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 don't tell people that. <laughs> you know, like, no, this is this is mostly a Picross game. Like, yes, it has elements of Phoenix Wright in it, but like, stop doing that. You're making things bad for me. <laughs> um, and maybe I was just very naive about it, but um, that now I've just come to accept it and that that's how people, that's how people view it. But luckily it seems like, I obviously I don't think our story is anywhere near a Phoenix Wright story, but I think it generally, you know, people have really enjoyed the story and the writing. So we haven't done that bad. 
compared to Phoenix Wright, if you see what I mean. So mm -hmm. it was a comparison I never wanted to happen, but it's kind of worked out okay in the end. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, getting Sugimori on there, you can kind of feel where you were coming from with that. I do a video game music podcast as one of the other three podcasts I do on top of this one. And I got mentioned or that podcast got mentioned on another video game music podcast that's a little, I don't want to say larger than mine, but a little larger than mine. And boy, when I saw that they um, had mentioned me, I just, uh, I got a pit in my stomach, like, oh God. And it was all positive. And I was like, oh, okay. And, you know, I saw the numbers go up on my downloads. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. People actually like this. Okay. I was sitting there just yeah. like, oh God, terrified. They're like, oh no, people are actually going to listen to this and judge me now. <laughs> Yeah. And it's really interesting. I've seen, you know, I've seen a lot of people say that they bought it because they were a fan of Sugimori's and it's great. And obviously we knew that was part of the reason we did it, right? Like we wanted to get a, a, a known composer for the marketing value. That's why mm. we would have paid much more than if we'd have, you know, just gone with someone else, someone not as well known. But yeah, it, it really, it really lit the kind of, the Phoenix Wright touch paper and yes, luckily it doesn't seem to have gone too bad, but yeah, I mean, obviously I'm, I'm delighted that he's on board and you know, he, his music does so much to, to, to make the tone of that game. Um, to be honest with you, the tone only, obviously I knew a lot about the tone, but it only really started to uh, solidify and become like a concrete thing. Once I started getting his music in, um, and I was a bit concerned at first that it, I was like, oh, it's very prep, like peppy, you know, I was like, oh, I really wasn't expecting like, <laughs> I think that's the point I worried most about the tone because I was like, oh, this music is so happy and hyper. And like, I don't know if this is gonna, this is gonna be okay. <laughs> um, but we kind of we work, we made it work out. And you know, he toned it down a little bit <laughs> i had to, i really had to fight to get him to do some like like the 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 quieter or the, like the slower stuff in the game i really had to be very much like no i absolutely need something that is slow and you know i'd say i want something that's like this and i get back a track that was not slow or you know we obviously we ended up using everything but you know um his style is very much that I believe he was told to just, you know, go crazy, <laughs> you know, and do his own style. So, but no, it really worked out. I mean, it's great. As soon as we got the first batch of music in, we were just like, oh, this is incredible. And everyone on the team was just so excited when they, when they had them. The very first thing we got back was, was honest theme, you know, that you hear on the title screen and to get that as the first thing back, it, you know, in one try, it was like, oh, okay, this is it. You know, like he's done it straight away. So, yeah, I just think it's an excellent soundtrack, and uh, I think the peppiness helps with the with the length of how of pit cross puzzles. Sometimes, you know, you, <laughs> yeah. I found myself I found myself bobbing my head during most of most of the pit cross puzzles just because of the tone of the music itself. And I think it blends. I think you nailed the tone to go along with that music as well.
I'm actually rather disappointed uh, that I can't buy the soundtrack. That's one of the few complaints I have is that you have to get it like on uh, good old games or Steam as like an add-on. Like I want to go on to iTunes or whatever and just be able to purchase this thing. Yes, uh, I am also very frustrated about that. Um, <laughs> I have tried many times. Something is in the works. Okay. I can't say any more than that because I don't know when or in what form. Okay. But but it it, it will it will be it will be available. I oh, hope. Good. good. Okay. Um, sometime soon. Yeah. <laughs> I uh, I fairly recently got into collecting uh, video game soundtracks on vinyl, and this is one that if it comes out on vinyl, I'm buying it. You don't have to say anything either way. <laughs> I'm just saying, just throwing it out there that this will be a very quick purchase if this ends up on vinyl. It would be lovely. It would be lovely to have it on vinyl. Yeah, it? yeah, yeah. That's what I'm going to say. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> Vanessa, what do you think of the music? Um, I liked it. I'm not one to really notice music. Um, most often, you'll hear that as a trend with me. But I liked it. I, I do feel like um, some of the peppiness was like nice to kind of like you know you'd get into the groove of doing a pie cross, and it's like it's like kind of eggy, like egging you on in the background with its upbeat music. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, cute. <laughs> it's really interesting because obviously everybody, the time it takes people to do the puzzles varies wildly. Like, mm-hmm. I didn't realize before release how wildly it was. But, like, you know, I can go through the game in, like, 10 hours, let's say. And we imagined that 10 to 15 was about what it would take mm-hmm. people. I have been the first, one, of the first pers- one of the first people to play it through completely uh took 60 hours and i was like oh my i was like oh my god and then like i you know i see on steam when the you know the steam reviews they have the amount of time played on there and very often it's like 30 40 and that was like so much more than i ever expected and so when people say i got a bit irritated of the pit cross tracks by the end because you know, I'd spend 15 minutes doing a puzzle and I'd hear that same song the whole time. I'm like, well, I don't, I don't blame you. Of course you are. <laughs> like, <laughs> of course you got to think about it. I just never imagined that, that anyone would take that long. And uh, so I've always been like, oh, yeah, okay, maybe we should have done more um, more pit cross tracks or had it so, like, it wasn't just one song per puzzle, like it would go into other ones or, you know, something like that. But, um, yeah, that was very much something I learned after the release of the game. As someone who's never done pit cross before, it took me about fifteen to twenty hours. I want to say. Okay, that's good. Yeah, so it was, it it was just learning the skill basically, and that kind of bleeds into my my next question: is we really haven't talked about the pit cross yet in this game, which is a very large part of it. What were like the challenges with deciding how many pit cross puzzles to put in the in each in each case, and how to how to balance them out, and how to space them out between each other? Um, I think you guys did a pretty good job of it. There were a few times when I'm like, oh, God, no, another 15 by 15 yeah. immediately. But, yeah. uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it's, but that might have no. been my inexperience with Picross itself. So No, I think I honestly think this is probably the my greatest failing on the project, actually, is that I didn't really think a huge amount about the pacing of it. Um, and the reason, well, there are two reasons for that. One is that I was always just so much more worried about the story and whether that was working and whether the characters were believable and, you know, whether it was, you know, all of that stuff. That was always just much a much bigger thing in my head. Um, the second one is that I... My general viewpoint was just the more pick across the better because I was thinking, uh, like, obviously I wanted there to be more because then it was more content. 
but also I I was just I'm trying to think of the of, of the way to say it really, but I just didn't really think about the pacing very well at all. I was always just worried that there wasn't enough Picross in it. And so if anybody ever said, Oh, you know, well there we could do a Picross of this object, I'd go, Yes, obviously, great, put it in, you know, because I just thought the more the better. And then it was only kind of after it launched and people were like, wow, that last case is like quite a, you know, at times it's a bit of a slog. You know, I don't, I don't deny it. It absolutely, it absolutely is. And uh, they're totally right. And it's because, it's because of that. And also because my general thing was, I was focused on trying to get a good difficulty curve of the pit cross throughout the game. Mm -hmm. Because I was very aware that this would be a lot of people's first times doing Picross, so I was always worried. I I was always worried about like making sure it wasn't too hard, and you know, making sure that people could continue even if they got stuck and things like that. But what I and so I was focused on having like a great difficulty curve across the game as a whole, which is a great thing to aim for. But what I forgot to realize is that that meant that every puzzle in the last two cases was long. <laughs> And really, what I should have been what I should have been thinking of was that there was like a a curve across the cases as well, mm, and yeah. not necessarily just a curve of getting harder, but like a curve that matches the pace of the story. And yeah, I just literally just didn't think about it. And uh, yeah, that's certainly the the biggest lesson I've taken from it. And you know, whenever anyone mentions it, I'm just like, yeah, you know, I totally agree that last case is, you know, is is. It, it, it does feel like you're getting interrupted um, sometimes. But, you know, I always knew it was going to be impossible to please everyone with it because I knew that I was playing to two audiences. I was playing to visual novel fans and I was playing to Picross fans. And they want very different things. And I was also playing to, to people who were beginners and people who, like me, already knew Picross, really loved it. And... Mm -hmm. You know, they were going to be bored by the easy ones. And I was never going to be able to get it completely right for everyone. I think we did a fairly good job. But yes, we definitely could have balanced those last two cases a little bit better, I think. But yeah, that's kind of how it is, really. <laughs> As someone who's, you know, played the... I remember, like, the original Phoenix Wright. The, I felt the comparison there it's kind of apt because you know towards the end like the cases keep getting longer and longer and that fourth one really was it felt really long and then i remember thinking back to playing the original phoenix right and just thinking that last case there just seemed to have not drug on but it was like man is this is there an end in sight to this thing yeah so so yeah. i guess you got another phoenix right comparison there even if it was unintentional <laughs> no i mean you know we did obviously that i mean the structure of the game is very inspired by Phoenix Wright, the fact that there's four cases, you know, is directly from Phoenix Wright. Um, <laughs> the idea that they get longer, you know, the first one is like a tutorial, obviously that's directly from Phoenix Wright. So, you know, I can't deny these, uh, they're not even references, I just ripped the, the structure <laughs> wholesale. Really.
Vanessa Jason, do you have any more specific questions uh, for Ed you want to ask? Um, I don't think so. This has been like so wonderful. <laughs> uh, let me see. I guess really my sort of last specific question here would be, would you like to make a sequel to this, specifically Murder by Numbers, with Honor and Scout, or do you think their story's kind of been told and you'd like to move on and maybe do this in a dip, like with a different cast of characters? That is a very good question. And the my answer is that my, my answer is that my answer changes very frequently. <laughs> fair, fair. Um when when we were when we were making the game, uh Murray and I did discuss this and we our kind of our thought process at the time was that if we did a sequel we'd want to do it in a very different setting um with very different characters you know like mm -hmm. i was you know in my head it was like you know uh, you know let's go really wild with it like if we did a sequel then maybe it's sci-fi or maybe it's set in you know victorian england or you know i don't know <laughs> mm -hmm. like this picross mystery thing is like in a way it's kind of like a genre and it doesn't need to be tied to this one setting or this one it doesn't even necessarily have to be about murders you know it could be about something else mm -hmm. and that's how i was that's how we were thinking about it and as the game came to launch i was you know i had been working on this for about two years it had been taking up the entirety of my brain for about two years and i just didn't want to do anything to do with this anymore i was like <laughs> my you know in my head i was like i want to do something different now i want to do something knew something that is not you know by the end of it i'd even grown to not really like picross that much anymore <laughs> i can't understand why um, yeah exactly right and uh so i was kind of like you know i just i want to do something else um and that's how i was feeling as it launched but then when i saw the reaction that people had to these characters it kind of made me think oh well you know maybe Maybe their story isn't over yet. Maybe there is more that this char these characters could do. I mean, I did. It was always intended to be a very self-contained story, mm -hmm. but also to be the beginning of, you know, the whole. You know, from day one, we knew that the end point was Honor and Scout now basically have a detective agency, right? Mm -hmm. And so that first game was the story of how that happened. So yeah, we always knew. Um, that uh that it was going to have the potential to go on um but we don't we didn't really have any ideas of what it could be i also you know we wanted to leave it open in case we wanted to do you know like dlc or you know like add-ons or or mm -hmm. you know something that's not under the full game right and yeah so that's kind of how we were thinking about it now a year on i don't i still don't really know how i feel about it there are definitely parts of me that want to make a sequel and you know want to um play with these characters a bit more and but then there's also parts of me that really want to do something different you know right mm -hmm. um and also part of me feels like if we did a sequel i think we need to appeal to a broader audience and maybe so maybe someone else should do that and you know maybe i just advise or you know executive produce or I don't know, you know, just consult on it or and give the reins over to someone else. So I don't know. I mean, right now, nothing is happening. Right. Um, I've tried to get a sequel off the ground. I've tried to get, you know, DLC off the ground. Uh, nothing has happened yet. It's not completely closed off at the moment. So there's always the possibility. But yeah, I don't know whether I would want to 
you know, hand the reins over to someone else and let someone else have a go at this crazy world. Or, you know, we have discussed if we did a sequel, would we change the mechanics? I was going to ask that, yeah. If you were to change even, like, the, the style of puzzle you'd be solving in a sequel as well. Yeah, exactly. Add a clear all, clear, clear all function. Oh, yes. Clear. Yes. Yes. That was a, I think that was a universal thing from the three of us that we were like, okay, this is the this is going to be our thing that we got to talk to him about. It's like, you need a clear all button. <laughs> that, that's my only frustration with the game is that I had to go and delete all the little all the little squares when I messed up. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's okay. Um, you're completely right. You're completely right. Um yeah, I mean, yeah, we discussed like you know should we should we add another type of puzzle? My feeling at it at the moment, I did do a poll on this on Twitter recently. My feeling at the moment is that Murder by Numbers, as a thing, is about Picross, mm-hmm. and there can be variations of Picross, like the hacking thing, and you know mini game or like other, like other things that still have ties into Picross. But you know, because people do say to us, "Oh no, if you if you do a sequel, you should definitely add Slitherlink or this type of logic puzzle or that type of." And I kind of think, well, no, Murder by Numbers as it is is tied into Picross, and if we wanted to broaden it significantly, I think that should probably be with a new cast, with a new setting, and a new name, you know, a new brand or whatever. But ultimately, I am only a small part of the decision making machine. And I will, you know, who knows is the answer. Yeah, it's a very difficult question for me to answer because, like I say, my mind changes on it a lot. And I undoubtedly, I would love to see these characters again in some form. Um, and if I get if we get the chance, I will definitely work out some way to make it happen. But also, you know, I have a lot of things in my head that I want to make, you know. So who knows? Even if we don't do more of it, I think the spirit of Murder by Numbers will live on in what comes next because... I know that the thing that really hit well with people was the tone. And, you know, the tone is very personally me as well. So I think I would be trying to kind of hit the same, maybe not exactly the same setting or whatever, but the same stuff, the same feeling. Mm. You know, I think that'll, that'll carry on, whatever, because especially now, I think people need it, you know? People need charming stuff. Yes. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. After, uh, you know, we started playing this right around the, uh, um, insurrection and it was like oh boy i need a i need a nice happy distraction dear lord yes i mean that was what that was one of the the big tonal touch points for me not insurrections but yeah um but i wanted to make the sort of game that i would want to play when i was you know feeling depressed or down or or whatever and it was the lack of something that kind of made me want to make something that was cheery so so you know yeah a lot of people have said that it's helped them you know it came out just before the the game came out you know 6th of march and then in england we had our first lockdown on like the 20 something of march and a lot of people said it kind of helped them through that first uh lockdown which has been such a you know such a wonderful thing to hear because anyone who makes games all they really want to do is make people happy give them something they enjoy and you know giving somebody a breather from what's probably one of the worst years in living memory um yeah is good
would you mind? We do have some listener questions, I believe, for Ed put out yesterday. Uh, would you mind uh, asking some? Sure. All right. Um, actually, the first one is one I was going to ask, but I figured since she asked, I would uh, save it for her. Um, our friend who has been on this podcast a few times and is also uh, one of the owners of RPGamer.com asks these. She's got five all total here. What made you choose the 90s as the era? Good question. So uh, right at the very beginning, I knew that this I, basically, I mean, if you play visual novels, every visual novel tends to look basically the same because, um, you know, you have like two characters, a backdrop and a text box, right? That's basically what every visual novel looks like. Mm-hmm. And I knew that, that was also what we were going to basically have to be working with because of our time and budget constraints. So I wanted to, I wanted there to be something about the art style where if you saw a screenshot of this game, you knew that it was this game, right? Like it, like you couldn't mistake it for any other visual novel. Um, so I was thinking about that. That was in the back of my head. We need to, we need to make something really distinguishing. And funnily enough, it was um, just that I noticed people in my life had started wearing nineties clothes more. Um, <laughs> funnily enough, the the, um, the 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 person who is now the social media, uh, who's now the community manager for uh, Murder by Numbers, Amy, um, she's been a friend of mine for a long time, and I she had started wearing double, double denim a lot. Um, we weren't working together at that point. She worked at she worked at Square Enix at that time, mm. and she one day she showed me a picture of where like three of her friends had all worn double denim on the same day at Square Enix, and I loved it. So I was just like, "This looks so cool." <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was literally, and that was literally it. I was like, "Oh, okay. Well, you know, I really like nineties fashions, and we're not seeing that anywhere. You know, we've seen a revival of the eighties uh in a lot of things and i was like maybe 90s is the next one you know maybe that's the next thing and also i just knew that 90s fashion is so distinct from basically any other era's fashion because it's all about clashing patterns and yes ridiculous layering that doesn't make any sense and you know i knew that that was going to be really visually interesting and so that kind of ticked this that box that i was looking to do as well so um I pitched it to the, our creative director, expecting him to push back on it, and he was just like, "No, I love it. <laughs> you know, let's do it." So I was like, "Oh, okay." Um, and that's how it happened. Really, another another thing was that we wanted. We also thought it was it would be good to write a detective story in an era where you didn't have a smartphone with you all the time, right? Because that changes the dynamic a lot, right? Like if mm-hmm. you've got access yeah. to. If you've got access to everything in the palm of your hand, then that changes things a lot. So the idea that, you know, obviously we wanted a game where you had to move around between locations and and we needed excuses for that. And so, well, you know, we thought if you do in the 90s, you're literally going to have to move around more. <laughs> um, you know, so that was also just another reason to do it, I think. Every time I see like Honor's wardrobe, it immediately makes me think of a little bit of a cross of like the Fresh Prince of Bel Air and uh, <laughs> and sort of like Seattle grunge sort of thing. Just that sort of <laughs> just right there in that mix. I'm like, oh, that's perfect. That is that is like right when I was like a young teenager. It was about because this yeah. took place or this takes place in about 1996, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I was uh, 14 years old then. So this kind of hits home very yeah. much for when I was sort of, you know, not discovering myself, but discovering myself a little and like, oh, hey, let's. Let's wear clothes that are entirely too big and baggy for for you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was like, I I was 
late 90s really early noughties was kind of my formative era so that definitely played a part uh of part in it but yeah i remember one of one of the first things i did was making like a um like a you know a mood board or a reference guide for the fashion and just like putting a lot of pictures from fresh prince of bel-air <laughs> okay um, i nailed that one <laughs> clarissa, clarissa explains it all oh yes blossom mm. uh 90210 yeah just putting a lot of just loads of screenshots from that in one powerpoint, <laughs> PowerPoint document. what was funny though is that um uh, moa who, who designed the characters obviously she's japanese and i kind of realized that she wasn't going to have the same sort of cultural references that that we have and that you know i was like well maybe the what the japanese idea of 90s fashion is like quite different from our idea of 90s fashion so right. i was a little bit concerned that it would be difficult for her to get it but i mean she got it obviously as you yes. see um you know she really got it very well one of the first things she did was she watched the entire first season of friends <laughs> <laughs> while she was while she was working and so she was like so, like, the, the day I got the first drawings from her, she was like, I watched the entire first season of Friends today. I think it helped. <laughs> and I was like, well, that actually was 1996, so that's really good, uh, you know, that's really good timing. <laughs> yeah, Ryan is basically Ross. Um... <laughs> <laughs> and next, uh, how did you select the items for each puzzle? Did you write the story first and choose relevant items or make the puzzles and then write the story around them? It was mostly we would write the story first. Um, well, Murray, Murray was the one who worked out what what puzzles were, were were going to be needed, and then we would give that list to Dorian, our puzzle designer, and he would kind of do some. He would push back on a lot of them and be like, "That's not going to be an interesting visual," or, or you know, like especially there's only so many times you can do a pick cross of a piece of paper before <laughs> you're just like. Before he would just be like, I, I can't do this anymore. And we'd be like, okay, why don't you do, why don't you do a passport then? And he'd be like, that is barely any different. <laughs> <laughs> but so then we would kind of have to have to think it, then we would have to go back and rethink, you know, okay, what, what does this puzzle have to portray? You know, I think like, for example, I think that that passport in case three was originally an ID card or something, but we'd already had an ID card in case one. So I was like, okay, well, what else determines your identity? Okay, a passport? Like, okay, let's go with that. Yeah, lots of complaining from Dorian, but very deserved complaining. <laughs> so yeah, so we would mostly work out from the story, but then we would uh, then we would iterate based on what would make an interesting or good puzzle. Did you ever consider JPEGs versus the pixelated images that you uh, that you ended up with in the game? What, what do you mean? <laughs> like a just a re like a literal photorealistic picture of a shoe when, <laughs> instead of like the pixelated shoe. But uh, just a compressed to hell JPEG, basically. Yes, that <laughs> yeah. I like that. I, was like, I mean, yeah. yeah, it's one of the first things I did actually because I I wrote the puzzle editor that we used all through mm -hmm. production. Yeah, and one of the first things I did was like made it so that you could load in an image and then draw on top of it, and I was like, this is going to make it really easy, and then I soon realized that it absolutely does not in any way. <laughs> make it easy because Spoke you can soon. guarantee that there is not a photo that matches the perspective you're going to need it's a really difficult thing making those puzzles because it has to fit the gameplay curve while also looking like a picture it also has to only have one possible solution which is really difficult you know there are so many different layers going on and we were really lucky to get 
Dorian, who is not only a great level designer, but also a pixel artist. So that really worked out. We wouldn't have been able to have done it without him at all. All right. Uh, the next one she wanted to know was, uh, how do you select character trait archetypes without them being too corny? <laughs> well, that's a good question. And I'd also like to know the answer. <laughs> if I did, then maybe I would be a rich man. I don't know. It's a really good question. I don't think I'm very good at this. Every writer has a different way of doing it. My way is to kind of pick an archetype or pick a stereotype. And then, because like I say, they are elements of them are accurate. Um, but then look at changing something that kind of is a little, that makes them a bit different or a bit unusual compared to the, the standard archetype. So, you know, you take two things from an archetype and then the third thing you take from somewhere else or you, you flip so you flip this normal thing around or I don't know. But I mean, a, a lot of it, um, you kind you kind of, you start off with a very rough idea and then you write it and it's only in the process of writing it that you actually you actually realize what works and what archetypes do work and you know like the thing about casey is that he's like obviously he's a really good friend right and i knew that was going to be i knew that was going to be a big part of him but it was only in during writing him that i kind of realized what an integral part of his personality it was and that and you know and, and then it, it surprised me when I came to write the ending of Case Three, where he all kind of works against Honor a little bit, or he, you know, because Honor is is saying that his friend is a murderer, and he's like, you know, he has this loyalty to Honor, but he also has this loyalty to Fran, mm -hmm. and he doesn't really know where to go. I didn't know that was going to happen with him until I literally got to writing that scene, and then it suddenly was like, of course, he he he's going to. He would be really torn about this. And, you know, and that's why I wrote it that, you know, one of the things I like about Case 3 is that it's kind of not a happy ending in that, like, you uh, normally, Case 1 and 2, you get the end where it's like, we did it, we found out who it was, brilliant, yay, we saved the day. But in this one, it's like, okay, we worked it out. And Casey's like, yeah, we worked it out, great. Yeah. I need some time, I think, so I'm going to go now. And it's like a slight downer. None of that I really knew until I was actually writing him. And as soon as I wrote that, I was like, okay, I think, I think I've managed to get Casey beyond the stereotype now. Once I'd done that, I was like, I think he's three-dimensional now. And that's what you're always trying to achieve. Whether I'm right or not, I don't know. But yeah. I think that worked for Casey for sure. I love Casey's arc through the whole story. He's... I, I almost want to say, like, throughout the whole thing, like, if you discount Honor and Scout, I think he's probably my favorite character. He's just so endeavorly charming and just hilarious at times. And I, I know that does sort of lean into the, um, you know, sort of gay best friend archetype. But yeah. for me, I think you just completely stuck the landing, like, writing him. Yeah. And, you know, again, it's the fact that I am a gay best friend to a lot of people, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and that is that is a role I perform and I do enjoy performing. And it, in some ways it is a bit of a performance because you don't act that way around certain other people or whatever. Right. But, you know, it's just like I know every, every gay man I know is like that to someone. And so it was like it was like I could not write it because I'm worried about it being an archetype. But like, why would I ignore reality? And the, you know, the, the, the experience of life as I know it in an attempt of, in an attempt to kind of uh, try to fend off feedback from 
you know, media studies types or, right. you know, people who analyze things. The thing I hate, right, so the th- I'm, I'm going on a tangent here. The thing I hate most in the world is that website TV Tropes. Oh yes. Where, yeah. Because I just, I just, I just don't, I just don't think there's any value to analysing, to breaking everything down into its, into bits and going, look, these bits are in everything else. It's like, of course they are. Like, well, I just, it, it just seems like a, a very easy way to criticise things. Anyway, no, you, no, was, you're right. There's nothing, there's nothing wrong with a trope as long as it's done well. You know, so yeah. it's like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's they have all, the place. There's only so many different types of characters you can write without overlapping with somebody some other work that's come before so yeah yeah and um as somebody who went from a very rigorous catholic middle school to um let's say a at the time it was the largest public high school in new mexico that was also on a very rough side of town the transition for me was very tough and two uh, like the two people who immediately made me feel wel- welcome within my first week there and befriended me and introduced me to people were two gay guys I was in choir with. So I definitely see a lot of that or I'm familiar with that, you know, best friend gay guy archetype. And yeah. I really appreciated that because it was like, oh, these two guys, like, you know, you get taught in Catholic teachings that, you know, they're, they're, they're evil and they're terrible. And they're and like, these two guys were just, oh, here's somebody who's, you know, uncomfortable where he is right now. Let's just make him feel comfortable. And that was their only motive was to make me feel comfortable. And it took a lot of pushing back on things I had learned to accept like, oh no, they're just trying to be friendly because they recognize I'm uncomfortable and they're just trying to make me feel welcome in this, you know, school from, I went from a school of maybe 200 to a school of like 2,400. Right. So it was just like, oh, okay. So I guess it seemed Casey there. I, I got a lot of vibes of my um, friends, uh, Brian, and uh, he went by Chachi. Uh, or, <laughs> so, but, I mean, he went by Chachi. That is very gay. Yes, yes. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, yeah. I mean, Casey's not his real name. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> it's very gay. Yeah. All right. We'll, uh, we'll move on from uh, J- Jason's uh, weird uh, high school upbringing, <laughs> too. <laughs> um, Anna's uh, second to last question, question here is, Anything in the game that you didn't include that you could go back and add if you had the chance? A clear button. There we go. <laughs> I think we clear. Right. Yeah, there yeah. we go. <laughs> yes. Um, yes, a clear button. Yeah, there's a few quality of life things. Is there anything I would... There's nothing I would really add to the story. I think, if anything, I would probably take away a bit. <laughs> I would probably, you know, make Case 4 a bit shorter or... You know, take some puzzles away. But anything I'd add, no. Just, I mean, st- yeah, just the the things that people have complained about that I totally, I totally understand. You know, there's no clear button, or that um, the controls can be a bit finickety sometimes, or that there's no way to re, um, re- review past text. And I would especially uh, say the accidentally optional puzzle in case three that means that most people got an A rank. Instead of an S rank, um, that was me. Yeah. <laughs> which one? Which uh, which one is accidentally optional? Uh, I got. I, think, I, got it, the I think it's the speakers. Okay. Yeah. Um, it, I didn't intend for it to be. I just made a mistake when setting all of the data up, and then it was just something that wouldn't have been easy to patch because then every, everyone would have been in a different state, and uh, so I've just kind of had to make my peace with it. But that's like a lot of people's major complaint with the game, and I totally. 
um, I didn't think people were going to be so obsessed with getting <laughs> SNL. Um, I, I was like, four, so. yeah, it's like I don't, I, I think because I'm not that sort of player, so I was just like, eh, yeah, no one will care. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so that's such a funny mindset. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think that's like like me versus Jason, who must get all of the experience points. I'm like, hey, I got through most of the game. It was fine. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Oh yeah, I had, to get, I had to get all the S's. I was, I was, and I did. So. <laughs> yeah, I did too. After I did case three a second time and got. Uh, yeah. Sorry, you had to do that. <laughs> that's okay. That's okay. It's <laughs> a good one. So. All right, and Anna's uh, last question here is: um, Did you have a favorite line or joke in the game? Yeah. Oh. there's i mean there's a lot there's a lot of ones i really like i think my my absolute favorite though has to be (laughs) and i would say this uh because i wrote it um um would be the first major discussion uh, first major conversation sequence between honor and casey um, which was great fun to write because I, because it was all about like just trying to get across what good friends they were without literally saying, "Hey, we're good friends, aren't we?" <laughs> um, and there's the bit where Anna asked Casey if he ever suspected her, and he's like, "No, of course, not. of course I didn't." And then she says, "Good, I didn't suspect you either." And he says, "Well, of course you didn't. Blunt force trauma to the head is just so straight." <laughs> and, uh, exactly, if I did it, it'd be far more drama. <laughs> and that, is like, that to me, and I still think about that all the time. <laughs> I still think about that a lot, and I still have discussions with. I still bring it up with people. And I'm like, "What is a gay way to kill someone?" And then we have a discussion about like, you know, pushing someone off a building definitely because it's got this the drama of the falling and the, <laughs> the just, just shooting someone is really boring. You'd have to poison them slowly or. You know, <laughs> so I think just just that it's really sparked a lot of convers- a lot of really weird conversations with people. I'd have to say that line. I think it's very good. Casey's got uh, a, a plethora of good lines. Yes. Even like that that case one, uh, the, the ground child line's really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then of course, every time Scout tries to make a joke, is actually pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> a lot, yeah. A lot of those Scout make, trying to make jokes thing were put in by me, and Murray was not sure about it at first, but I think. Then he embraced it and started doing it himself as well. case uh we can i think we can quickly do this uh, i think we all three of us really enjoyed this game i can i can safely say right yes uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah uh 
and we would definitely I recommend it to anyone that's got a switch and is not immediately turned off by the idea of Picross. Uh, so as long as you, ha- if you if you hate Picross, then probably not for you. Other than that, uh, yeah, it's it's great. It's super charming and very well written. Uh, other than a clear button and a probably a better a slightly better cur- difficulty curve in the cases, I don't have much to complain about. Thoroughly enjoyed my time with it. Vanessa, Jason, any closing comments you want to make about it? I really, really enjoyed this game a lot. Um, and again, like if you don't like Sudoku, like don't be afraid. It's not Sudoku. It's better. <laughs> um, also, idea for a sequel: What if you put Honor and Scout into like Sherlock Holmes costumes, and just nobody mentions the fact that he's a robot? <laughs> and they just like go through like go through time uh, solving mysteries, but nobody yeah. cares that he's a robot. I'm probably good. Yeah. yeah, you're definitely speaking to my. <laughs> my desire to not ever explain anything. <laughs> yeah, and I think I think it would totally work. I think it'll be great. <laughs> <laughs> I'll write it down. <laughs> just just put Vanessa's name in the credits as a thank you, and we'll be happy. Yes, yeah, so, and send me a free copy. And that, that's all I need. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Um, no, I don't really have anything else. I, you know, I would absolutely recommend this if you have even a passing interest in Picross. This is. This game is just a delight from start to finish. Like you mentioned, Ed, in the fourth case, it, that sometimes you feel like you're getting slammed a little too much with the Picross. Like, I was kind of hustling through it this morning to finish it up um, so I could take a quick nap before we did this, and I was like, oh, God, another Picross thing. Okay, come on, Jason. You got this. You got this. You got this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, in that case, as we close out the show here, uh, Ed, uh, you can go ahead and promote yourself, uh, media, any, any Mediatonic <laughs> pro- projects you got, whatever you, whatever you want to say, just get it out there for, for, for the listeners. Um. Um, okay, cool. Well, I'm currently working on a game called The Good Life with uh, Sweary. Oh, um, oh wow. <laughs> yes, I am our sister company, a regular corporation is publishing it, so I am, I'm not writing on it, I've done a little bit of script editing and I'm directing the voice acting for it. Um, so I would definitely like to promote that because it's very weird and very wonderful. <laughs> that's the cat one. Um, a... Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's kind of it that I'm working on at the moment. Uh, yeah, just uh, I'd like to say you can follow me on Twitter at EdFear and I will undoubtedly be posting about things before I am supposed to be posting <laughs> about them. But, uh, Whoopsie doodle. <laughs> yes, hopefully 2021... 2021? Yeah, that is the year, isn't yes, it? 2021. Yes. Just, just barely. <laughs> what, is, what is time anymore? I oh know. my god. This third lockdown is really getting to me. Um, <laughs> uh, yes, uh, hopefully 2021 will be the start of a new project for me, so and hopefully I'll be able to kind of talk about it at some point. Yeah. Alright. Um, well, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, you've been a pleasure. As for, the three for of us, as for the three of us, uh, you can follow them. You can follow the, the podcast at Games and Junk. You can follow myself at Johnless0777. You can follow uh, Jason at Jason Ariola, Vanessa at Vicarious Rock. Uh, and please, if you if you uh, feel so inclined, go to our Patreon at Games and Junk and chip in a couple bucks, uh, three specifically, and you will get uh, better quality audio in the podcast and bonus content for the for the was it five podcasts we have now, Jason? Uh, four, it, four technically four, active. Four. Yeah. Yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, including this one, Multimedia Failure, where we three talk about uh, video game movies and rank them arbitrarily. Rock out with your card out, Jason's music pod, video game music podcast. And so say we all, Jason and Stephanie Kulak's 5-5 podcast. 
Uh, also, if you donate five bucks, you get a shout out on the show, which Jason will do right now. <laughs> All right. Well, of course, I have to shout out to my two co-hosts here who actually chip in for some unholy reason <laughs> for that. I also got a shout out to Alex Messenger, Josh Carpenter and Eric for chipping in the five bucks to help keep the lights on over here and keep our sanity as uh, I stare at GarageBand for hours and hours upon end a week. <laughs> Yes, we uh, we appreciate we appreciate any donations. We just appreciate you listening. Uh, again, Ed, thank you for joining us. Uh, thank you so much for having me. Yes, uh, and I guess so long, and thank everyone for listening. Mm-hmm.